0: Welcome back to the Laravel podcast season four. Today we're talking to Samantha Geitz about everything. This is the grab bag of all the different topics and she's going to handle it because she's a boss. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back to the Laravel Podcast Season 4, where every single episode is about a different topic. Uh, today, I have a returning guest, which I don't know if this is, I don't think this is the first returning guest. No, it's not. But one of the guests from uh, Laravel Podcast Season 3. And we're going to talk about all sorts of good stuff. And this is another one of those where I didn't say, hey, here's just a single topic. There's actually a whole bunch of topics we're going to talk about. Before we get to all the topics we're talking about, let's talk about the person. Miss Samantha Geitz. Uh, there's no Esquire. What's the ver- female version of Esquire? Anyway, Miss the, the Ineffable Samantha Geitz. Samantha, can you say hi to the people and tell them when you meet somebody in the grocery store or because it's COVID, whatever meeting people in the age of COVID actually looks like, what do you do?
1: (laughs) I think I said this the last time I was on the podcast, too, but uh, I generally like to tell people I'm a software engineer. Because it sounds very impressive to people who don't really know much about programming. And then it makes actual engineers super, super angry. So it's kind of a win-win for me. Um, but currently, I'm doing uh, consultant web development work. Um, I have a client, and I do kind of a Laravel view stack.
0: All right. So today, we're not actually talking about the life history of Samantha like last time. But if you have not listened, go check out the season three episode with her. I'll link in the show notes. We're talking about cash session, middleware, and requests. So everybody else got like this well-organized topic where it's like, oh, I'm just going to talk about the container today or about databases. And I was like, you know what? If I'm going to throw this one, which is kind of like the grab bag of all the ones that didn't make sense as their own one, I'm going to throw it to Samantha. She's going to kill it. So we have four individual things. They are somewhat related, especially when you talk about like middlewares and requests. But cash and session are really just their own beasts. So I know that you have at least thought ahead of time a little bit. So I'm going to ask you to do the five-year-old test on all four of them i do think that maybe a request should come before middleware and if they're one to request in middleware that's fine whatever makes sense to you so let's start with the easy ones easy quote-unquote if you were to describe caching in a web application oh my god there's a fly in my face if you're described caching in a web application to a five-year-old how would you do it
1: so can I start with requests? I yeah, go. Like ahead. That's actually going to be okay. So requests are when you are asking your app basically to do something. So you might be saying, "Hey, app, give me a web page," or "Hey." App. If you're a five year old, um, I want to submit this form on Roblox to get Roblox. But that's like a thing. Right? I don't. Roblox yeah, my think roommate's so. can't talk about nice. this. But basically, a request is when you are going to an app and saying, "Hey, do do something." Um, yeah. You could also, you know, be theoretically doing that in a console, but we'll we'll stick to HTTP with what I got going on today. Yeah. So caching then. So a request has to go all the way into your app and actually like. Do some stuff under the hood and caching is kind of a layer in front of that where the app says, hey, I kind of know what I'm giving you back. um, So I'm just going to kind of throw it your way and not have to go do all the stuff under the hood, Mm -hmm. which is really nice. If you have something like, say, on your website, you have a footer at the bottom where you're loading you know, blog posts from an external site or something. So it doesn't have to go hit that every single time a page is loaded. It can just kind of say like, yep, these aren't changing enough that we have to do this every single time. I'll just spit them right back up without having to go make another request or talk to a database or anything. Yep. It tends to be just a lot faster and a lot a uh, lot easier on your server and on your users.
0: Okay. So we got request and caching out of the way. So request, yeah, I know, right. So request was when you're asking your application to do something. Right now, we're going to stick primarily to the HTTP layer. You're just saying, hey, do this thing. And do might be send something or might be get something, but you're, you're kind of like, Interacting with that mainly through URLs, right? Like it's it's everything is really through HTTP requests through URLs.
1: Mainly through URLs, yeah. So you might, and also you know you might be saying, "Give me a file back," um, mm-hmm. give me, or you know, I'm trying to do something I shouldn't be doing, and then the server might just return an error code, um, might return a download, might send you to a different place. But yeah. at its most basic, a lot of times it's just. Give me this web page, and that yeah. goes and loads of you yep. or submit this form. Here's the data, um, yeah. and the request would just basically have the information um, about the, what you were trying to submit. Also, um, it has stuff like who are you, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> where right. are you, where are you doing this from? Um, right. It's like what what kind of is this? Like you are trying to get data or to send data. So that's right. all kind of contained in that object.
0: That's great, and then the cache. So the, the 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 cache example you gave really tied into requests because one of the often uh, most common things we're going to do with cache is to cache a piece of you know the response. Uh, you mentioned the footer or something like that. Let's imagine cache, and this is my fault because I grouped them together. If we were talking about cache a little bit outside of the context of a web request and more just talking about caches in programming in general, do you have a simple explanation for what that is for a five year old? Like, what's a cache just in general, not even in, in terms of HTTP requests?
1: So in general, a cache is basically don't know if a five-year-old would understand key value stores, but I imagine most (laughs) most people listening to the the episode Mm -hmm. would. Um, So they're not like a database, which is, you know, like a relational thing. It's just like a NoSQL key value thing, depending on what kind of like cache backend you're using. It might just be stored in files on your application. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to go all the way to the database. It might be in the database itself. It might be on something like Redis or Memcached, which will kind of live in its own um, process. But a lot of times like with Mem cached, for example, it'll just kind of have a, you know, serialized string of whatever Mm -hmm. data. Um, And like a database, you can kind of, you know, be updating that data, but it's not quite as like memory intensive or slow as the actual database with like hundreds of thousands of records. And then most of the time too, with caches, you're going to have that be an application wide thing compared to sessions, which I imagine we'll be talking about right after this, you'll got it. be user specific um, things that you're storing for the application versus you know, every user for the most part, unless there's some little bit of business logic will be saying those same footer posts.
0: I love that. And it's, uh, I normally am not the one coming up with the five-year-olds but there's there's four of these for you and actually what you just said popped into my mind something that um, Jonathan Rennick had said about his kids about I forget exactly what his example but it was about like hey five-year-old you know how you want to do this so I'm thinking about my four-year-old and when I watch her use her iPad especially this like uh, PBS games app the loading time that they have to deal with they're 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 so aware of loading time and their fingers are like hovering ready for whatever it's going to show up so they know about loading time so like I can imagine something like, do you remember how, you know, every time you're using the PBS kids games app and you're like waiting for all your favorite games to load, uh, wouldn't it be nice if the second time you used it, it didn't have to load them again. It just had them there. Cause it loaded them last time. That's sort of like a cache, right? Like it loads it the first time. And then the second time it's just able to pull it out really, really quick. It doesn't have to go re get it every time. And so you described all the mechanisms that we might use to do that. So that's good too.
1: Cause a lot of times with websites, you know, if you're not doing a separate you know, deploy, for example, your JavaScript code might not have changed under the hood. So why would you have to reserve that to the user every single time when you can basically just say, like, yep, here's the code, you already loaded it. Um, So a lot of times you'll hear about, like, cache busting. So you'll have, Mm -hmm. you know, app.js and then, like, a whole bunch of letters and numbers appended to it. So if that hasn't changed, those letters and numbers you know that it's the same javascript file and then if they have the browser knows like okay so the one i have cached is old i need to dump that and then go yeah. to the new one so it's pretty important for the performance of an application if you are at any sort of scale to kind of understand how caching works and like the best ways to the best ways to be implementing it because it's definitely a rabbit hole you can get down
0: well, it's, it's multiple rabbit holes, too, because you just pointed out that there's server-side cache and browser-side cache. And I was like, I didn't even think that when I named this episode. So I gave you more than four things. I'm sorry. I feel a little bad right now.
1: No, it's all good. I, saw this, I saw <laughs> It's because I trust you. <laughs> there was a spreadsheet of all the topics. And Matt was like, what do you want to talk about? I'm like, oh, I don't know. The one no one else wants to talk about. Just let me like, know. That's this
0: need. one. It's like, all, that's right, this we'll
1: do one. All, all right, cool. I've been doing this for long enough. I'm sure I can talk. Yeah,
0: about you can it. figure it out.
1: I can't. I uh, probably shouldn't be calling myself a software engineer. I should go back to being a webmaster.
0: Okay, so that's the test. So John Bonacorsi said if he did a good job and people laughed at him, that he would get to keep his job. So for you, the test is, if you do a good job in this episode, then you get to keep calling yourself an engineer. I like that. I
1: already quit Titan, so... Uh,
0: oh, that's true. I, I don't actually have any impact on what you get to... But I'm just saying it's your contract with the people, you know. With the people? With the uh, people. All
1: right, people. <laughs> of, I'll people of the internet. I'll try not
0: to let you down. <laughs> all right. So we have done requests. We have done cache multiple times thank you for your patience there tell me about session
1: so um sessions so requests so you're sending so let's say you have you know your browser and you're trying to talk to your application via the website or whatever so like inherently when you make a request it's just data in data out um Mm -hmm. that's what's called stateless so if you say log into a website Um so you have to go through this whole mechanism and then you want to go to a page. So you're on Facebook, you know, you wanna see your profile. You want to go to a friend's profile and Facebook makes you be logged in. Mm -hmm. Um so session is a way that basically um the application can keep track of like groups of requests. So um it'll be a user specific thing as like a session ID, um, and kind of like caching, you can store it in a database as a cookie. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of different ways, but it basically, a session is tied specifically to you. Um, that's how it knows that you're authenticated. You can also be putting data into a session. Um, you also sometimes use sessions for things like, okay, this form was submitted and I got redirected to this other page, but I want to show a little success pop-up saying, mm-hmm cool, your, you know, your form was submitted. Good job. Um, so you, a lot of times, would store something like that in the session because you wouldn't really want to store that in a database. database yeah. You're using a database driver, I guess, but that's not something you would go fetch. It's just something tied to the user temporarily. Um, so, yeah, basically, um, it's just a way for applications to keep track of who a user is during a set of requests if they're logged in.
0: I love it. That's fantastic. So transitioning, I know that one of the most common ways that you would use sessions in modern applications is through a session middleware. Can you tell us a little bit about what a middleware is?
1: Oh, middleware. We're going to uh, run through the whole whole life cycle. Yes, you know how much I love that. (laughs) Um, Okay, so you have a website and you are making a request to a server. So, you send the request. Um, so, middleware, basically, um, I know you like to use the onion metaphor. Yes.
0: <laughs> it's okay. So, use whatever you want. You
1: know. <laughs> no, it's a good. It's because it's a good metaphor. Um, yeah. So, if you imagine the little, like, onion kernel seed thing at the center is your mm-hmm. application, there's layers around kind of both sides um, or surrounding it. So, you make the request, and then you have a series of middleware listed. So, you might have, say, middleware A, middleware B, middleware C. So the request gets passed to each middleware in the order they're listed. So the request would go through middleware A. Middleware A would do stuff, and we can go into what that stuff is in a second. Mm -hmm. Then hand it off to B, then hand it off to C, then to the actual application, which would go do stuff. And then when it sends a response, it goes back through in the reverse order. So it would be C, would hand it to B, to A, and then to the user. Yeah. that just gives you a place um, to just handle whatever business logic, and that might be things like: is the user logged in? Is yep. the user trying to do something, <laughs> do something malicious? Um, you know, is this user an admin trying to access an admin route? Um, yeah. It sets some session stuff. Like it just basically like gives you an opportunity before whatever the request is that hits your app. Um, just to do to do things to it, make sure it's good, and then just hand it off to the next thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but it's really important to know that it's passed through in a specific order, hits the app, and then in the reverse order back out.
0: Yeah. Which is, I think, the hardest part to understand at first, right? So I appreciate, I really appreciate how you simplified that down. Like, it quest comes in, it goes through all the middleware, hits the application, and then back out in reverse order to the end user.
1: Yeah, that's uh, and then you have some a lot of times different you know, middleware that you have kind of like your global middleware for both like web and API routes, which do totally separate things because you have to worry about stuff like, you know, cross-site request forgery and web and then Mm -hmm. cores and API. Um, So there's kind of that global middleware. Rate limiting and
0: stuff, yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Rate limiting, yeah, which Laravel 8 has some pretty cool stuff with the rate limiting that makes it a lot easier to manage. And then yeah, back on the way out for each. And then you can also register middleware for like groups of routes. So if you have some routes that are just admin routes, you can have some sort of, you know, is admin middleware that will check those things to make sure that anything happening is, is actually an admin.
0: That's fantastic. And I think that's a perfect time to transition. And we're just going to start with middleware because we were there already. When is the last time you built a custom middleware? Because we have the, when's the last time you used the system? Well, every Laravel app uses middleware, right? When is the last time you remember building a custom middleware?
1: I am actually in the process of uh, building a middleware right now for my current client. So they want to track um, referrals from another website. Mm -hmm. So basically um, what you would do is have a request with a um, get, Query parameter of some sort, like you mm-hmm. know, question mark referral equals you
0: right. know one two three four five
1: Joe's Joe's what I don't know, I'm right. talking about <laughs> um, other website. Yeah. Um, so then the middleware um, has access to the request object. Um, mm-hmm. So basically, you can go in and um, check if that query parameter is on there. If so, you can um, also check if there's any sort of referral cookie already set. Um, set the referral cookie. And it'll go through the app and do all sorts of stuff. And then if the user goes to visit other pages, that cookie will be set. So before Mm -hmm. anything else happens in the application, I can redirect them, I can do whatever. The browser is going to have some sort of cookie saying that this referral came through. So if they actually sign up for the website or purchase something or whatever, we know that they did that. So it basically grabs them as soon as they come in and says, yep, I'm going to do that because we don't necessarily know what page they're coming in through.
0: Perfect. Yeah. So I love that example. And so that's one really common example of middleware where you look at the incoming request and you do something that really is not related to the route they're hitting. Right. It's just related to some functionality you want to check all the time. You do that work and then you're like, okay, hey, rest of the app, you can have it. I did what I needed to do. I checked for the query parameter. I acted on if it existed and I moved on. Um, Have you ever written one custom where you're either modifying the request or you're rejecting the request based on stuff? Based on query status.
1: I've done a lot with kind of things like, is this user an admin? Right,
0: um, right, right. Mm-hmm.
1: Like user types. Um, so,
0: yeah. so that'd be like a redirect or a for, you know, unauthorized or something like that.
1: Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. In terms of actually modifying the request, I'm trying to...
0: I couldn't remember either. I'm sure I have, but I was just like, I don't actually know when it would have been.
1: I feel like that's the kind of thing where I'd have some extremely weird Esoteric edge, yeah. And mm-hmm. I'd be thinking about it and I'd probably go plug it into Stack Overflow and someone would suggest somewhere <laughs> yeah. and be like, oh, Yeah, duh. of course, yeah. And then just... Not yeah. actually so I feel like it's all these are very right, frequent stack overflow topics. Yes.
0: That, and that's the thing. That's why these are the weird ones. They're very important and useful when you need them, but they're not as much a part of your everyday work. So but anyway, a note to everybody, you can read, edit, and also you can basically return a response right out of middleware if you want so you you can read the the request and do stuff with it you can edit the request and then have it keep passing on so in theory you could actually like say oh it's actually coming from a different ip address but then you can also return responses right out of it so i had a middleware for a while that said if someone comes from a certain range of ip addresses boot them right out before the app even spins up and so that was able to save the whole rest of my application from spinning up and also from like hitting the users table and like looking up the, the user and all this kind of all this kind of stuff that would have normally happened it just booted them right out so it was a really light kind of like outer wall that you couldn't even hit
1: i have a problem in this this current client i'm doing right now where they've been running facebook ads mm-hmm. and we're tracking all the page views and stuff i kind of built my own little custom activity logging thing mm-hmm. and we had all of a sudden this huge surge of like thousands of hits a day and they were like where are all these coming from um we are running these ads. It's Facebook's bots
0: because oh. they are not
1: caching. Uh, shame on you, Facebook. So basically, <laughs> they're going through every single time anyone does anything, scraping the website and driving really? page views. Yeah, and I was looking into how to get around that, and apparently Facebook just likes to give the middle finger and say, we're Facebook, what are you going to do? Like, not run ads on us. Uh-huh. Um, so, and if, so I was thinking about writing custom middleware because you can track everything that's stored in the request a lot of times is – you know, what kind of ex- like the
0: agent or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: they have, um, and they have various like packages and stuff you can use to like, kind of figure out if the IP address is a common bot address. Got it. So I might at some point do something like, you know, grab like the request, check if it's a bot, which I am logging now. Um, but not either not log it or log it somewhere else or yeah. just do something with it because, you know, it's a bot and they're hitting us. Is your, of times.
0: is your page tracking happening in the middleware right now?
1: um the page tracking is a There's
0: a service provider maybe
1: just yeah it's um it's like just events that i'm firing oh
0: got it okay so you've got to somehow like say globally turn off all these events if the middleware set blah 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 to be bought
1: or return like a cached
0: oh yeah for sure sort to yeah. just
1: be like all right well whatever yep. data you're trying to grab to make your ads work yeah. i can just cache that because yep. we're not changing it and we don't need to go have you hit our server every single time sure. and go fetch everything from the database and load whatever yeah just yeah yeah like all right here's the here's
0: the dummy version data. of whatever you're looking for yeah mm-hmm. okay so cool. that's
1: probably what i'll end up doing and that would be in the middleware and caching
0: yeah oh yeah look at that all these are and we talked about requests like 100 times already So I was curious, do you have a rule, and after this we'll move away from middleware, of when you build something in the controller versus a service provider versus a middleware?
1: I probably will tend to put things in, I mean, obviously it's very, like, depending on what I'm doing. My Mm -hmm. first line of defense is often going to be controllers, because I feel like that would be the first place I would look for stuff yeah. um if there was some sort of like i try to think about if it's me six months from now and
0: yeah like, well, yeah why, where is you know, this, is this <laughs> yeah
1: why is this weird bug yeah. happening i feel like middleware is a little harder to test yeah um so harder to probably, discover too yeah yeah because it might be like oh yeah i registered this like random you know middleware and attached it to this route like why yeah. um so if I, I i tend to yeah try to put business logic at controllers if i'm if i need to reuse it in any way that would Mm -hmm. definitely probably be a candidate for either. Yeah. Like a middleware or something I would register in a service provider. Yeah. Um, I also tend to, as a personal preference, um, I don't like when I'm like listing whatever routes I try to do group, like route group and then Mm -hmm. have the middleware in there and group them together.
0: Yes. I love that.
1: Yeah. And like, I'll have like, these are the admin routes. These are like whatever. Um, because yeah, if I'm like trying to look, in the controller constructor, in a route group, in a, yep. like a route definition, you like you might have some route resource. You might have some like it's it gets way harder to figure out what the hell's going on.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. So that's my little Samantha Guys convention, but
0: yeah. I love that. I think that that's very similar to mine, which is that everything starts in the controller just because you start with the simplest way to do it. And it's the most discoverable and whatever. I think that often for me, moving it up to a service provider is when it is an application level concern, which is kind of a hand wavy definition. But like, I think this app, the, the app generally tends to need this run in order to do its job. And so service providers are things that I think are a little bit more global. You know, like if I like you said, if I'm, if I'm doing this in more than one controller, the first question I ask is, should this be an service provider. The, the, the line between service provider and middleware is a little bit wonkier. I think that the more it feels like the outside of the app or almost like a, a decoration I put in the app that I could potentially put on other apps. That's when I start thinking about middleware. And so often things like, like page tracking or whatever, I'm like, man, if I could just copy this exact same middleware pop off, that part of the onion and put it on another thing and have it work almost exactly the same, that's when it's more probably middleware than service provider.
1: Yeah, once you start thinking about stuff like, okay, so I've got this piece of business logic, but might I be using it in a wearable Nova action? Mm -hmm. Might I be using this in an API and in the web? Like, Yeah, if it's if it feels something that's not super tied to requests Mm -hmm. um, and more just like actual like core application business logic, I would definitely go for a service provider over a middleware because you don't know where those requests are coming from, and that's where you'll hit the bugs because it's expecting to be tied to this specific route group, and now (laughs) now users can do admin things.
0: Yeah, oops. No, I love that. I think it's a great, a great delineation. And and a, a lot of people don't don't know this, but there was a big kind of movement in the PHP world that kind of died out, where they wanted everybody to be building middleware that were completely compatible all across all PHP frameworks. And the idea that just like we share packages, people would be sharing middleware. And I mean, it's they're relatively compatible between frameworks um, these days. But yeah, I think that's a really good way to think about it. If it's business logic that may be called multiple different contexts within the app, probably it's not going to end up in a in a middleware. It's probably going to end up in a service provider. And and if it is a generic request related thing that may or may not be like service related to this particular business logic, that's more likely to be in a, um, in a middleware. So I like it. All right. I'm going to let you move on. So we're going to talk now about the most recent time that you worked with Sessions. You already mentioned the fact that we're dealing with sessions anytime we're dealing with authentication. Um, The users are authenticated and saved in the session. When have you done more kind of like custom work? Oh, you also mentioned flashing messages uh, from one request to another. When's the last time you did something else in the session other than user authentication, other than flashing messages?
1: One of the kind of interesting challenges we had with um, session stuff. So my main client right now, they were originally a... WordPress site, and then Uh they wanted to build all sorts of actual, you know, application functionality that was not posts and pages. So, um, they brought me on to be building that out, but they still have their WordPress site. Okay. Um, so there's like the top navigation bar that, you know, we want if they're logged in on the Laravel side to also be able to Uh have that they're logged on the WordPress side.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so that kind of comes then to the question. I know this is still kind of authentication tied, but, um how do you, how do you know that? How do you know who that user is? Yeah. Um, and that was right around the time Laravel Sanctum came out and I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: nice.
1: Um, cause that, um, so I, I think someone talked about Sanctum at least a little bit yeah. before, mm-hmm. but, um, basically it's storing the session then in a cookie. Um, so if you have sites on the same domain, you can then share that session, which is, yeah. which is pretty cool. Um, One of the things that I'm doing with session, so I mentioned I have this kind of event tracking I'm doing. Um, So I'm storing a bunch of just various pieces of meta information on every single event. So that might Mm be a page was viewed, this user like because there's a couple different like paths for them to sign up. So I just oh, okay. instead of like I have like an event for they completed this step of the thing. Like it's just yep. it's a ton of data on there. There's at this point a couple hundred thousand records, but I'm storing the session ID on mm-hmm. every single one. Okay,
0: place, yeah,
1: nice. Which is nice. Um, so one of the the kind of and I know there's we'll talk about some of the gotchas, but one of the gotchas is that when you log in, Laravel will scrap and regenerate the yep. session. Like a session is generated as soon as you hit the website, even if yep. you're not logged in. Yeah. But if you had that session ID, you can still track that an unauthenticated user was doing stuff. Yeah. So one of the things I'm doing is when a user logs in, I'm grabbing what this before they actually log in. Oh, nice. I'm grabbing the session ID. Yeah, of all. The, so you can
0: um, match what they did before they logged in with what they did after. That's clever.
1: And then backfill that they they that they were that user. Um. I like that. And, yeah, but it's basically a um, for session. It's a good way to think about. it. It's just if there's some piece of data that you're not necessarily worried if it persists after a user mm-hmm. logs out, but it's not something that you really want to go store in a database. Um, a lot of times that's a good thing to store in a session. Something that will trip you up, though, if you're hitting stuff on an API, it's dateless, so you yeah. don't have access to a session. I guess you're yeah. using something like Sanctum, but it gets it gets a little dicier. Yeah. Um, so you have to kind of be thinking about web requests specifically. Yeah, um, that's And good. that's why a lot of times if I am trying to like persist data, it's not... I, I a lot of times try to not be working if it's like a hybrid. There's some API stuff because I'm using Vue. There's some back-end stuff. Yes, Vue, I know. Team React, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm a Vue <Vue-led>. land. <laughs> um, so you have some, you know, I, I a lot of times I'll be a little bit more trying to lean away from using this session just because I don't want to be tracking front-end states and then yeah. also back-end state. And, you know, if you are changing like business logic and you want to change that you want to rely on it so a lot of times it's if you want to store something that needs to persist beyond a couple of requests it's not a great idea to use sessions i've seen that definitely
0: yeah yeah and I, and I appreciate that too i think the biggest thing we say with clients or new developers is it when they log out and log back in later or if they log you know get kicked out or if they whatever like do you still want that information to be saved and if so then session's not the the case and that's going to be more like a user settings table or something like that so i'm with you as a result of that i use sessions all the time because it's there's so many convenient session tooling tools but i don't do a lot of custom session work as a result of that so
1: yeah yeah it'll be we're getting ready to build a like kind of shopping cart type functionality thing in this app. Mm-hmm. Um, they have basically like classes. So <laughs> this app is, it's called Amava. I don't think they would mind if I said their name on a podcast. Um, so it's a site for people who are retired to connect with each other. Oh, cool. They originally hired us to build what's called Go Local, which is for retired people to connect with other ones in their area. Yeah. And we launched April 1st.
0: Right <laughs> oh my God, really?
1: COVID <laughs> hit, with the most vulnerable COVID population. Oh, my so,
0: gosh. Like,
1: oh, cool. So now they're doing kind of some like, you know, online
0: yeah. Trying to basically rework it classes. to be, yeah, same thing, but online. And, it's,
1: and the pivot's been going great. Like it's, it's really, um, but so we're trying to build some shopping cart functionality, which that then becomes like, do you store uh-huh. that in browser state? Do you store that in the session? Because you don't necessarily want to track that when they log out. Do you yeah. store it in a database and then try to like reconcile that if they're bouncing around doing other stuff so there's a good chance i'll end up doing that server-side session yeah. um yeah. and have some sort of tracking on it still but that would be a good candidate for all right they logged out like we can clear that they were looking at yeah. this thing and trying to buy it um because browser i've had way more trouble with browser sessions like trying to yep. store stuff in like local storage yep. that becomes a nightmare i yep. i've never been able to pull it off in a way i was happy with like i've used various libraries and stuff and all oh,
0: Yeah. And for those who doesn't know, Samantha knows front end. She's not like a background programmer who just doesn't want to deal with it. She's a very talented front end programmer. It's just a it's a monster. And it's if you can get it in that back end session without kind of like one of the biggest problems we run into when we try to like handle more meaningful state happening in the backend sessions is that you get that same situation where every person who visits the site spins up something in the sessions table. And so sometimes like you end up getting way more records in whatever your shopping carts or whatever than you're expecting. But once you know that's the case and you're already doing things like you're talking about to plan around it, then you're fine. So sorry, I wanted to go back because something you had said I forgot to ask you. You mentioned connecting WordPress and Sanctum. Did you make a WordPress plugin that reads your Sanctum cookie to log you into WordPress when you're logged into Sanctum? Or how does that work?
1: actually did not touch the WordPress side. My okay, brother, it. Chris, is... Uh, nice.
0: But did he do that, though?
1: Uh, I don't know if he actually did, like, an open source plug-in, but he definitely wrote code to do it. But he
0: wrote code to do that. Okay, cool. That's what I was just curious. So they wrote code to have WordPress read a Sanctum cookie. And if you're authenticated via Sanctum, then you're now automatically authenticated via WordPress. It is possible. That is cool. It is,
1: it is possible to at least know that the user is logged, logged in. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, you're not doing anything crazy with it. But yeah, yeah. it's a way That's to That's really cool. Store. Yeah, it was, it was definitely not super, especially because, you know, Sanctum was new and there wasn't a lot yeah. of like issue tracking. And stuff. It may be way easier now, but yeah. It was, it was an interesting one to figure out, but that's how we managed to, uh, to pull that one off.
0: I love it. I mean, people will be surprised to hear this, but I actually have multiple times recommended that a client use WordPress for their primary blogging platform because nobody compares, not even like the best CMSs in the world compared to WordPress's blogging experience out of the box. And so a lot of people are like, look, I need this blogging experience for cheap. And I'm like, well, we can recreate it in one of the amazing CMSs and it's gonna cost you a whole bunch of money or you can get it for free with WordPress and then we can do WordPress integrations and a lot of time that's what happens so
1: yeah, as a blogging platform, it's great. As soon as you want to do any sort of relational data, anything right. that's not Don't, posts mm-hmm. and pages, <laughs> yep. it's awful. I used yep. to do nothing but WordPress in the first couple of years of my career. And um, it was on specifically like the WordPress.com server. So you couldn't. Oh,
0: okay. WordPress you couldn't tables. even do anything. Yeah. Oof. So
1: you had a giant post meta table. Mm-hmm. And that's where you had to try to do things like relationships and like, oh, my God. Yep. Dealing with like one single, cause I, I don't know if it's still this way, but at the time there was one database for all mm-hmm. wordpress.com, everything. Yep. everything. So you yeah. were writing like this on just a table with a bajillion records and oh my yeah. God it.
0: And then expression engine and craft used to be that way too. I don't know if they still are, but it was like, we would try to write eloquent queries against expression engine data. in that first project I did with EE and it's like, well, good luck because all of the, your different schemas all live in a single table. So, so yep. No, I feel you on that um yeah it's a great blogging platform so and it's cool when we can build these more complicated interactions with it because if somebody needs a blogging platform that is robust and we can build integrations because now there's a wordpress api and now you're saying we could potentially even hook it up to sanctum and stuff like that not perfectly but i, I did at least authentication proof that's really cool but if anyone okay. out
1: there is uh wanting someone to to do some consulting work on that. there you
0: go at SamanthaGeitz.com via the show notes there you go. I love that. The
1: process of actually like branding ourselves as a thing. I'm working right now with my brother and um, one other super talented developer named Ellen Shimada. She's great, and um, another one of our friends out in Hawaii, Mike Han. So we're we're actually trying to form a little actual thing and name ourselves and do stuff. Oh my god, my mic my neck just fell over as I'm giving my pitch. Of course, I'm <laughs> <pretty cool. laughs> um, but yeah, I we we've done some uh, WordPress Laravel integration. So if you want to know how to do, there we the, go. Session sharing.
0: These are the people. Yes, I love that. I I mean, honestly, I might have to give you a call at some point if we're going to do another one of these, so... All right. So before we get to the common challenges and gotchas, I don't think I actually asked you the last time you used cache. So you mentioned briefly one of the things that you might do is more like a page cache or a, a cache from a certain section of the page, like the footer. The footer is really expensive. And so you're going to cache the rendered HTML, which is one way to do it. Um, when, have you often found yourself caching more like database requests or API requests, or is that not something you do that much?
1: Um, definitely. Definitely, some of both. Um, okay. If it's any sort of API request, so um, using this this one site as an example, so we have um, our WordPress site that has like the you know various news articles and stuff, mm-hmm. and then the Laravel app will hit that, to yeah. grab the footer posts and stuff. Um, yeah, that's how I came up with that example. So yeah. we, we just cache that. We okay. the WordPress site doesn't change enough that we have to worry about that, um, but we have a lot of for these like classes, a lot of kind of like nested resources. And I can definitely notice like more and more the performance starting Mm -hmm. to get a little slower. So I tend to kind of just try to keep an eye on, you know, something like Telescope maybe and just see like how long are some of these requests taking? Are there a lot of nested resources? Is this data changing? Um, If it's, you know, something that we know is not going to change a ton or, Mm -hmm. you know, even if it is changing every couple of days or whatever, and you just notice that some of your stuff is just, being a little slow, a lot of times just caching those database, like, you know, queries that you have in your controller or, you know, a service file or whatever. um, You can have some, you know, pretty complicated queries that you don't have to go do every time. Um, And you don't have to worry into like those weird query loops where if you're trying to grab a nested resource that also is tied to a resource that's tied to the first resource, like I've, you know, run into that. So just, you know, you have a certain set of data, you can return it as a giant blob and just kind of figure out what that yeah. it's going to be cache the blob um, so that um, and then you know obviously any, if you are at all of a responsible developer you're probably hopefully caching your static stuff so if you have you know CSS JavaScript um, any of that stuff um, Laravel Mix has some really great stuff built in for that if you want to get really crazy with it you can do something like CloudFront mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but that'll it really it helps the performance of your site so 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 much if you yeah. want to do caching especially if you have a ton of records um, yeah and you can start off, like, fairly easy with it and then build it out as you need it. I've, one of the mistakes I've definitely seen developers make is just just always want to cache everything.
0: Yeah, um, a little too <laughs>
1: Just I want, I want that couple of extra, you know, milliseconds, milliseconds for this right. site that's getting 100 visitors a day, so. <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> Premature optimization is the root of most evil. That is definitely the truth. One of the things, just this is a totally random question that I don't hear people talk about very much. So let's imagine a really common pattern is I've got a database query on my homepage. And because it's on the homepage, it's not just like a simple paginated list. It's actually this really complicated calculation that gives me the one of this that has the most points over the last seven days. And then the one of those that has received the most views times seven plus the number of points, which comes across five different tables. And you just got this super complicated query. And you just kind of have to say, like, there's no optimization left in this query. It's going to be slow. So you wrap the query in like a cache remember. And for anybody who doesn't know, if there's this thing called cache remember, I'll link it in the show notes. And you basically say whatever comes out of this closure, so an anonymous um, function, uh, cache it until x amount of time has passed and so you give it an amount of time let's say you give it six hours and then here's the key to cache it under and that's all you have to do you just wrap all your existing code with that and now not only is your code being defined but it's also being cached instantly as soon as it runs so that first time it runs let's say it's a just to be extreme let's say it's a query that takes 30 seconds and then every single person after that for the next six hours they're going to get the cached version which is going to take you know 50 milliseconds so that's cool what about that first person? Do you ever warm your caches? Is that something you're into yet or have you not gotten to that level? And this this is a premature optimization question for sure, right? How Because most of us don't have 30 second long queries. Are you in a place right now where you're doing that thing where you're having some kind of automated system warming the cache for you? or do you allow yourself mainly just to rely on, hey, you know what, every once in a while somebody's going to get up a little bit of slow request, but then every person who gets that same request for the next 24 hours is going to be fast again?
1: I definitely at this point, I'm not doing that. Um, I think if you wanted to do that, you, I would potentially do something like dispatch a job on a queue to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, like, mm-hmm. I like, that, or, um, maybe have a cron that runs in the background. So the, um, you know, like your server's actually just doing it and just setting, cause it's once it has that key, like, you know, any yeah. specific user, like it would be in say a session. Um, I, I You know, I think if you you also if you had the level of traffic where you were really worried about doing that kind of thing, if you have one user out of a thousand who might have an extra second load time, is that something that you really want to spend an hour building a process for? Maybe. Um, well, and
0: a lot of people who have that level of traffic are also using some kind of static caching in front of their site anyway. Like they're using a varnish or something like that. So they're not even having that problem, so.
1: Yeah, at that point, yeah, you would want something like, yeah, varnish or I think CloudFront, you can do um, full full server ca- or full stack caching now. Yeah, um, and
0: CloudFlare does a lot of that stuff too, so.
1: So I, I think if I were really worried about that, yeah, I would reach for some some DevOpsy kind of solutions rather yeah. than, because yeah, cause, yeah the, the more kind of like weird Like, yeah, Business Logic crons I would have under the hood. That's just that much more that. To yep. break. Although I guess DevOps, you know, that's true too. Like, I'm sure we've all been there where we were making changes and refreshing the page, and like, why is this nothing's not, changed? Why is it not changing? It's like, oh, yeah. I didn't clear my damn cache. Yeah,
0: no, but I agree, and I love that metric as well, which is because, like, for example, you can imagine a system where every time you've got one of those cache remembers, instead of it being called in the controller, there's something else somewhere that is responsible for defining that cache remember and then keeping it warm all the time, so your controller only has to controller only has to reach for that key in the cache. But that's one more system that you're not going to be quite sure where it came from, your request where that error happens is no longer going to show that error in the stack trace. It's going to be totally disconnected. And so it's just one more area of obfuscation. So I like I've thought of these systems a lot and never implemented them. And usually when I get to the point where that one person being slowed down for the next 24 hours, that's when I'm like, okay, let's look at a static cache because I just can't I can't imagine building a system that way. So anyway, if somebody else has built one of those and has a magic answer for us, let us know. But Samantha and I are not doing it that way. So.
1: (laughs) yeah i um I would much rather um yeah have that one person be slow than be trying to dig through like horizon logs and, yeah like, what mm-hmm. what have yeah. have have everybody have something weird and broken because i
0: yeah yeah and, exactly in
1: like, mm-hmm. fire or you know whatever so <laughs>
0: So I realize we haven't actually talked technically and specifically about requests yet. Um, so one of the things I wanted just to ask is, day to day, I think I have one most common use for requests. But I want to ask you, if you were to reach for the request object in your average Laravel app, what would you be doing?
1: Um, if I were reaching for the request object, I almost certainly would be getting input in a mm-hmm. controller. Um, yeah. So you can either um, do like dependency injection in the actual method itself. I love that little helper request function. Yeah,
0: me too. Um,
1: <laughs> so a lot of time, and you have the option of just grabbing, you know, request all, and it'll just show you everything the user submitted in the form. You yeah. can do request only um, and then pass in the array and say, I only want the form fields of, you know, first name, last name, email, returns an right. array, and then you could pass it into, you know, an update or whatever or create. Um you can grab specific ones. So that would be mm-hmm. like, you can either do request input or then just like the request helper with whatever the name is in there. Yeah. Um, so that almost always would be what I'd be, what I would be doing with it. You might be grabbing query parameters in a, uh, get request too, yeah. if you're trying to do something, but yeah, Good call. I think yeah. for the most part, it would be um, either in a like post or put patch.
0: Yeah. And it's a a interesting point is that if you think about, because often when people talk about the global helpers, there's a little bit of criticism about making them harder to test. But think something I just realized is that if you type hint your requests. Or if you use the global helper, either way, you're probably going to be testing them using Laravel's integration testing, at which point you're not building a mock request object manually anyway. You're still going to be using like Laravel's like request equals this get or whatever. So that's an interesting point is that like in terms of testing in Laravel, the way you get your request has almost no difference at all because you're going to be generating the request using Laravel's helpers anyway. So it's not as if like type hit because I tend to think like dependency injection is a little bit safer for testing. But in this case, it's not actually any better. It's really just whatever works the best for you.
1: No, I almost exclusively and like if I'm testing something having to do with requests, it would be a. Yeah, it'd be an integration test where I am passing in some sort of data and saying, yeah. you know, this post, post
0: or whatever, yeah. to this
1: route, blah, 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 yeah. blah, and then checking that the response is returning the response code I expect, yeah. the JSON I expect potentially, and then maybe checking either, like, assert database has, assert that this object updated in this way. Yeah, I'm not actually checking that, I because if I grabbed the wrong, if I had, like, a typo and I'm trying to grab, you know first nem instead of first name yeah. or whatever. Like, I would I would know because it's not saving it to that object and then returning yeah. it or it would throw 500 or something. I've never run into any issues with that. I've never yeah, really had to, like, mock the request. I was
0: just going to say, I don't think I've ever either mocked a request or actually, like, instantiated a fake request since Laravel had um, the integration testing built in. So you just don't need to do it anymore. So I love that. Okay. So since we have four topics, we are... Far in and we haven't even hit common challenges and gotchas. So I'm going to ask you now for all four of those, we're going to do them in a row in whatever order you pick. What are some common things that trip people up that you kind of think that or even if just it's like, what's one thing you wish that everybody knew um, of each of these systems?
1: I would say caching. The very obvious one is if you are using any sort of caching and you are refreshing your page and things are not (laughs) updating first, make sure you're not on like your staging site or production and think you're local because my stupid ass does that all the time. (laughs) Same. (laughs) Um, But a lot of times it's, yeah, they need to, you need to cache bust in some way. That's definitely, you will save yourself sometimes just 15 minutes if you can just think, oh,
0: caching. So if you were working locally and you wanted to like wipe your whole cache out, and we're not talking about busting a cache in terms of the front-end things like app.js, whatever. We're talking about your back-end cache. What would it look like for you to wipe out all of your cache locally?
1: First thing I would probably do is uh, PHP Artisan Cache Clear.
0: Right. No matter what cache you're using, it just wipes it all out for you, right?
1: Yeah, wipes it out. You also have the option of using the array driver um, right. for testing because it's not persistent in any way. Right. Um, so that would be you know, just if you're, especially if you're, you know, doing any sort of testing or running it as like mm-hmm. a test suite. Um, that's probably the the way to go.
0: I love that. And I, I have used drivers sometimes to make sure it's working without the cache. But then I also have to remember that I do also want to make sure it works with the cache too. So like you got to check out both of those angles because so, there's so many things where you hit it to production, production the fir- for the first time. Your local setup is different than production in whatever way. And then it worked fine locally because you're using file cache or array cache, and then you push it up to your Redis production and you're like oh something's broken maybe i should have tested that locally so all right so let's talk about session what are some common gotchas and challenges for sessions
1: i think especially if you are new and haven't really done a lot with like web versus api something that is going to really trip people up is that um i know i mentioned this previously but um api requests are inherently stateless, Mm -hmm. so you do not have access to a session so um the way that APIs instead of having a server session kind of get around that is you'll have, you know, whatever, like say OAuth token. Mm -hmm. And when you send the request, You'll have like an you know authorization header and you'll have the token in there and then the server will grab that and be able to say like, okay, this is the user and they are who they say they are, but they still, you can't store things on a session. You can't yeah. flash things, you can't whatever. Um, so something like Sanctum where you're storing session on a cookie will give you some ability to interact with session via JavaScript. Yeah. But yeah, that will, if you're trying to store something on a session and then access it via API, it's, you're just not, going to be able to do that.
0: No, that's really helpful.
1: Um, the other thing with sessions that has definitely screwed me up some, um, in controller constructors, um, sessions are not actually part of that request that originally passed yep. to controller constructors. So um, the, the way you can kind of work around that is actually via middleware. So um, if you really need to do something in a controller constructor, you have the option of doing like um, this middleware and then have whatever closure, And then just kind of do stuff. Um, The other thing, i got to keep knocking this mic over. The other thing that you can do is, um, so if you look at your web middleware, like, global list, there's Mm -hmm. one that's called Start Session. Mm -hmm. Um, You can create a middleware and list it below that. And I I mentioned that when you do middleware, it kind of, like, works its way down the list in order. So if Mm -hmm. you have something after, it has to specifically be after Start Session, but then you can grab whatever session stuff you need like it might even just be something as simple as off user oh yeah um you can, if you're trying to just do an off user in the controller it, like you just can't do that in the in the constructor that's so that's clever something that i've definitely seen people trip up but it has to be after start session or
0: okay work. or the session wanted actually be opened in php nice
1: um and then the other thing that could also potentially screw you up um so i mentioned the array driver for um sessions does not persist. So mm-hmm. if you're trying to do something with sessions in testing, um, mm-hmm. you do have the option. There's like a with session method where you can kind of pass some stuff through. But if you're trying to say test something like I was with um, how you have the session ID and you want to grab that when they log in and then grab uh-huh. the old session ID and do stuff, it's if there's a great way to test that,
0: uh, I really okay.
1: wasn't able to figure that out.
0: <laughs> Makes sense, yeah. <laughs> so- <laughs> because in testing, you're always using the session array driver, right?
1: Uh-huh. So, yeah, you, yeah it's not going to be something where you can say, like, oh, these things happened. And then
0: yeah.
1: I did this other thing and logged in and I went back and grabbed the old sessions. It's not going to, it's not going to persist. Huh. So um, I, I just wrote a lot of tests around the actual business logic to kind sure. of do that. And for the actual <laughs> session part, I just yeah. kind of was like, ah, this isn't going to track with 100% accuracy. I'm not Google Analytics. I can, for the most part, figure yeah. out who did what. It's yeah. fine.
0: And when you have the vast majority of the application covered except for one little piece of glue, you know to pay attention to that piece of glue working.
1: If I'm not grabbing every single event that they did when they were not logged out, it's sure. like, okay, sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah, not the end of the world.
1: But that's uh, that's definitely, definitely a gotcha if you're using the array driver. Or if it's not persisting for some weird reason, that would be something I would check is make yeah. sure you have the you know, whatever right it really be that you have, the right cash driver set.
0: Yeah. Number of times when something was inexplicably not working, that came down to just go check your ENV. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So middleware and requests, common challenges and gotchas.
1: Um, for middleware, I would say definitely checking the order. Um, mm-hmm. if yeah. you have things listed in a weird order that definitely, you know, if you're trying to do something like check cores or, you know, check that something's in a session before the session is instantiated. Um, It's very easy to be installing a package and see that you have to put some sort of middleware in and just pop it Mm -hmm. somewhere in the list and then Mm -hmm. have it not work. Um, You'll see, I think a lot of people when they run into cores issues have just the middleware literally in the wrong order.
0: Oh, interesting. So if all else fails, throw. Oh yeah, you're right. Because your cores. Yeah. Okay. Uh, And all else fails. If you're putting in a new middleware, just throw it at the bottom of the stack. Like that's, that's the default. Cause it'll have access to everything. Right.
1: Um, and I think a lot of times to, um, making sure that you have web and API middleware in the right place, um, mm-hmm. just because you know, middle, like API is not going to have an yeah. obsession, although there is the now ensure front end requests are stateful synced to middleware. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's
0: depends on what type of API is it, true. Yeah. yeah. But if you're talking about APIs accessed by a mobile app or something like that, it still won't have – we still won't have the session.
1: Right. And then making sure that if you write middleware, so there's the next – so you're passing in, like, the request first mm-hmm. and then, you know, whatever. And then you have this closure that's, like, dollar sign next, and that's what actually, like, hands it off. So mm-hmm. it's making sure that you have both those things in there and yeah. you're eventually returning a response. I think if yeah. you, you know, say – aren't doing like the next or whatever, it's not going to know to pass it on to the next middleware in the stack. So I would definitely check that if just things are not passing around the way they should. Um, So I think that would be the big thing for middleware. In terms of requests, I feel like the biggest issue I have with requests is just,
0: typos <laughs> yes because it's strings right and we're not in ruby so we don't get magic strings yeah uh, i feel like
1: i'm just like why is this one value in this form not coming through yeah. and i'll spend 20 minutes debugging it and then be like it's it's because i had the name i, I typed, typed
0: name it. wrong yep
1: or something exactly because um, yeah. i'm pretty quick to just die dump requests yeah. and just Same. Like, what what the hell is going on here yeah. um i feel like other than that like requests it be, I, I guess if you're trying to do any sort of like IP tracking, you'll have to keep in mind if you are using something mm, like mm-hmm. CloudFront or some sort of like reverse HTTP proxy, it isn't going to necessarily show the IP the right way. So you have to do additional X, things to that. Like, yeah,
0: quick. Quick note on that for anybody who doesn't know, if you if you have never dealt with this before, if you're using a proxy in front of your site like Cloudflare, it's going to a lot of its fields are going to come through as the Cloudflare version of the fields, but then Cloudflare will f- add extra headers to your request that are like X underscore and then whatever their various things are. Laravel has a tool built by Chris Fedal for that called Trusted Proxies that allows you to do some of the aspects of that, where it basically says, "Hey, I trust that if Cloudflare is the one that added those X headers, then those." x headers are correct and so it's allowing cloudflare it's saying i trust cloudflare whoever else to to send me proxied headers and which headers it trusts um but there's still other aspects of like that like samantha's talking about where if you're getting every single ip address is exactly the same first thing to look at is go dump the headers or just ask yourself the question do i have a proxy because if so things are going to behave a little bit different than you're than you're expecting
1: I think with load balancing too, you could probably get some yeah, good right. with that. Um, yeah. So, yeah. If, I also imagine a lot of people who are using any sort of uh, Varnish or Cloudflare, mm-hmm. or, <laughs> I'm ho- hopefully you're not inheriting a site, but you know enough about DevOps where yeah. you can kind of at least know where to start on debugging that because it, oh my God, that kind of thing can just get super, yeah. super complicated on, on the back end if you. Even if you know a lot about it, um, yeah. I mean, I'm literally on a podcast talking about it. And if you threw me at <laughs> a varnish site and it was broken, yeah. I'd have to do a lot of research. Same here. To no, out
0: same why. here. With, and I've worked with multiple very, very, very large varnish sites. And I would still Google. First thing I would do is Google. So um, there's one other thing that I noticed people getting hung up on requests, which is I would just say, don't use request all. Just period. Don't use it. You know, request only is the only one you should use in actual production, basically globally. I'm trying to think of any time you should use request all. And the reason is because request all allows the user to pass any information they want to it. And, and you're potentially getting fields that you don't want to be set. And this gets to the stuff we talked about in the database episode about like protecting your database. But request only is your friend.
1: Yeah. If you're doing a request all, and then you have like a, you know, fillable empty array. Mm -hmm. Oh, you are setting yourself up for a world of hurt on that one. Don't do that.
0: Yep. (laughs) Yep. And especially if you've heard the people in the, in the, in the the world, including myself say, you know, all your models should be, you know, guarded equals ID or fillable equals null or whatever. Basically the whole thing we're saying, you're getting rid of the whole, that mass requesting it's, it's, convenient but you have now put the responsibility on yourself to limit the data the 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 fields that are coming back from the user and you must do request only in order to do that and if you're not doing that if you're ever going to use request all in your app then use mass assignment protection on your models and if you don't know what this means just you know just don't ever use request all that's the the rule day one rule is never use request all so
1: i sign off on that rule it's a good rule.
0: I like it. Okay. So since we are going so late, you know, usual disclaimer, I could talk to you for hours. You know this because it's happened before. Is there anything else you want to share with the people before we start rolling up for today?
1: Um, I think the one thing I would share, and I know we mentioned this earlier, is these are all very complicated topics. I'm yeah. literally on a podcast talking about it, and I would probably have to go look all the time on any of these things on Stack Overflow. Um, they Just there's so much to know, and it's different between different drivers. So if you find yourself just getting really frustrated because you don't really, like, understand entirely, like, how you should be going about doing caching or whatever else, you know, you can always take baby steps. Find the requests that are slow. Just... Get a simple cache just for that yeah um you know same with same with middleware like just start off having things in your controller and then if you're repeating that you can move to middleware like don't don't feel like you need to be a deep dive expert on any of these topics yeah. just because they exist you yeah. don't have to reach for them unless they're the tools that that makes sense so there's yeah. a lot there
0: and that's one of the reasons why we did this one is because we want those tools to exist for you like you knowing caching exists hopefully we'll Give you a one day where you go, oh, I can solve that with caching. But we don't want to go into such great depth in these because they're not as much of your day to day as, for example, databases. And so, like, I love what you just said. Just, you know, learn what you need to learn, you know, get a, comf- a familiarity, but don't put this pressure on yourself to be like a deep expert in all of these things. Um, so, uh, before we get to how people can follow you and pay you money, all that kind of stuff, uh, Everybody's got their personal fun moment and it was very hard to pick one for you. Um, but I'm going to ask a question that is going to show you how good of a person I am and how humble I am. And I'm going to ask you uh, wh- who is the best science fiction author of all time? Uh,
1: si- are we talking science fiction or,
0: or fantasy? Sorry, fantasy? sci-fi fan fantasy and sci-fi.
1: <laughs> so uh, some background on this question for everyone out there, internet land, um, Matt, it, it's really, it's not easy to to get Matt, Matt Stauffer going about topics that aren't politics. And we got into it pretty hard at one of the mm-hmm. Titan offsites about, um, so I'm a huge fan of this author, Patrick Rothfuss. He wrote mm-hmm. a book called Name, uh, Name of the Wind and yeah, the Wise Man of the Year. Yeah. And I, I think he's a wonderful writer. I love his prose. I like the way that he plays with conventions. And Matt is not a fan. And he likes this author <laughs> called Sanderson, who I think writes books like he's playing a video game. Like, why? <laughs> Wait, so they have all these potions that they drink that give them various superpowers for a limited amount of time, and they have all these different like fairy types running around. And am like, oh, I, this might be good as a video game, but so um we 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 tend to uh,
0: but, we don't always um, see eye to eye on it, on, but, <laughs> but it's a good conversation every time, right? So
1: And uh, Lynn manuel Miranda, there's going to be a uh, show. Of New I New know. Movie. He's doing the music, so I think it's going to be wonderful.
0: See, Lynn manuel Miranda is doing a show based on this author who drives me nuts. But to give me credit, a little credit, I read through the entire series. Because I think the stories were so good. I'm just so annoyed with how he writes. So I'm hoping that Lin-Manuel Miranda will see the gold in the stories and just get rid of the prose that drives me nuts and some some of the character moments that drive me nuts. And he'll make it everything I wished it was when I was reading through it, you know? Is
1: this is what happens when you have two English majors who oh spent yeah. an hour and a half talking about programming and then need something else. Um, I think if you asked me to pick my absolute yeah, favorite. Yeah, your actual, see,
0: not just the joke.
1: Um, Joe Abercrombie. Have you ever read anything by him? Never. Oh, it's good. Yeah, start with, um, I think it's called The Blade Itself. It's the first in series. He is known as a um, quote-unquote grim dark okay. author. So it'd be kind of like Lord of the Rings, but, like, Aragorn is a puppet king controlled by Gandalf, who's secretly Oof. an evil wizard, and the hobbits all get cancer from their proximity to the ring. Like, it's really very gritty and dark, and you will... Both... I feel like in 2020... Um, he came out with like a new book and I didn't read it because uh-huh. I was like so depressed. I didn't want to get more depressed. it. now that, that I'm yeah. married and happy, I actually yeah. really need to do that. I got the new the new Kindle.
0: Hey, that's nice. That's the waterproof one, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the one you like take on vacation with you and you take it anywhere and don't worry about it. Just get in the hot tub with a with a Kindle.
1: Because that's normally when I use the Kindle is like when I'm like by a beach or a pool. Yeah, or
0: exactly. Because
1: I can't read on my phone. So, yeah,
0: that's uh, awesome.
1: Abercrombie is I don't think I've read a book of his that I don't. I don't really? like And he's not quite as purple prosy as Rothfuss. So you don't like
0: him, Matt. <laughs> Purple fr- I'll, I'll, I'll try it out. Actually, I'm more worried about the grim and given given it being 2020. But but I might try it anyway. So actually, I will just because I trust your recommendations.
1: It's a lot of very morally gray characters doing kind okay. of shitty things to each other. But
0: no, wait a minute. You like the magicians, though, didn't you?
1: I didn't read The
0: Magicians. Oh, okay. I thought those. So there, we read this book with my book club years ago called The Magicians, and I hated it because it was just like, it was so negative, but it never redeemed itself. It was just ended up with like, yeah, the world's terrible. People are terrible. I was like, ugh. So I was going to say, if you if you like The Magicians, maybe we're not the same page here, but you didn't. So we're good. Okay, cool.
1: Some some characters get happy endings. It's not. It's not.
0: Okay. It's not all doom and gloom. Okay. All right. I got it. Um, okay. So if the people think you're amazing and they want to follow you, if they want to pay you money for working on WordPress or other Laravel related things, how do they do it?
1: Um, I am on Twitter at Samantha Geitz. G E I T Z. I feel like I've uh, maybe dialed back on some of the <laughs> the political the political stuff lately. Um
0: Your bio still still says what it says, but uh, you're you're right, it's a little toned down.
1: Oh uh, my, my bio, there was a um, guy running for Senate in Missouri who had this uh-huh. whole delightful quote about how he didn't want his daughters to work and grow up to be nail biting, manophobic hellbent feminist she devils who shriek from the top of a thousand tall buildings. Like he literally yeah. a politician said this. So yeah. Of course, I adapted that for my Twitter. And
0: stuff. when the funniest part about it is that, like, I remember that, but people have seen this as your thing that don't know that there's a reference for it, and I think it's lovely. So, <laughs> and yep. my,
1: my banner is uh, or is men are trash.
0: Oh, <laughs> which uh, which which of course you believe, right? And you also y'all think all men are terrible. Of course, there's no there's no jokes here or anything. I, I am amused that it's an elephant, um, just because of our our proximity to PHP. That's so. why it's an elephant. Oh, is it really?
1: Someone made that specifically for me.
0: I didn't realize that. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. All right. I was
1: like, oh, of course that needs to go up. Um, but yeah, that's the best way to reach me. I have a samanthaguides.com website that is not... Someone tried to rip it off, so I guess the design... There you is go. Literally okay, worked.
0: so if, if somebody wants to pay you money, your 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 consultancy group does not have a website right now, but I would assume that this is going to come out in a couple weeks, like two weeks or something like that. So that's going to be like... Like Thanksgiving-ish, so maybe around Thanksgiving-ish, maybe there's going to be a website. But if not, just set yourself a real, little reminder on your phone to go back to Samantha's Twitter or website, which is the be the more reliable one to point to your consultancy stuff. Um,
1: my Twitter would definitely have it. Um, also, you should follow me on Twitter because I'm oh yeah, true. It'll just pop up when I there you go.
0: That's the thing. If you want to hire eventually, follow her delightful Twitter self, and then you'll see it when she announces it.
1: I'm going to get back into blogging again too once I'm you know. I
0: like it. You're a good writer.
1: Getting uh, married.
0: <laughs> but that's not yeah done with the initial excitement and, and ceremony. Congratulations, by the way. I didn't say this on the air. Congratulations. Oh, that's wonderful.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Any other plugs? Anything you want people to follow or do? Or maybe just follow you on Twitter and hire you when, when time comes.
1: Well, I mean, we're pretty uh, booked up with client stuff at the moment. So if you're looking for client work, you should definitely um, go follow and hire Titan. They only hire the very very best The very best. The very best.
0: Yeah. (laughs) The best people.
1: The best people.
0: Oh, my God. I love it. But they do good work.
1: So you should hire Titan.
0: Thank you, Samantha. Of course. You know, this was a total pleasure. I would do it a hundred times more. Thank you so much for sharing all this stuff with us. Is it okay if I volunteer that if people have questions about the things we talked about today, you're available on Twitter for answers? Hit me up. Hit all right. me up on I am too, but she's better. So go ask <laughs> her if you have questions about any of these things. All right. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure and we'll see you all next time.